0: Hello and welcome back to Heel Town. It is Saturday night's main event eight. The Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena in Los Angeles, California. 16,000 people here to watch a truly packed show. So I am joined tonight by my
1: co-host spencer santos how you doing well uh just uh before we started recording this i uh put up a tweet um we are going to do our uh, year-end awards for 1986 here that's right i put up a tweet uh promoting my pick for the women's match of the year for 1986 which is not the match we watched on any of these episodes <laughs> because that's bullshit and i refuse to award reward American wrestling for being so shit about women's wrestling in this time
0: period. Understandable. I am going to hold myself to the rule of hard and fast. Basically, if we didn't watch it, I'm not going to do it, but, uh, I'm not, I'll, I've got some maybe possibly way to balance the scales a little bit, but we'll get to that at the end of the show. Yeah. First of all, it is March, my dudes. So, finally, it is WrestleMania season. It is also March Madness season. I've got college basketball on silently as I'm watching. I'm sipping a a peanut butter porter from St. Francis Brewery in St. Francis, Wisconsin. Went up to the Marquette basketball game against Georgetown this weekend. So, I am in full TV mode. This is my favorite time of year. Not only is my birthday coming up, but second – I mean, my birthday is – is uh, you know tertiary to the fact that it's March Madness and WrestleMania season, so very excited about yeah. that. So we have a show tonight that is uh, again the last show that we're going to be looking at from 1986, and like I said, it's just chock full of stuff. So let's get right into it, I suppose. We start off. Jesse Ventura is here, and he's wearing a toupee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, my first note on this episode is right away, what is that horrible toupee from
0: Ventura? No clue. But our like opening video here also gives us uh, Jake encouraging Damien to squeeze Macho Man to death, so we'll see that later. Randy asks Liz a question and then yells at her to shut up and, quote, rub it out, by which he means polish the belt, but Okay.
1: Um, Roddy Piper calls Jimmy Hart the Ichabod Crane of the WWF.
0: (laughs) Yep, and he advises putting Graham out of bed. Also, Coco Beware is here. And, uh, the original Hart Foundation is here to kill some bees. Plus, Hulk Hogan seems to possibly believe that Hercules is the real Hercules, at least at the beginning here. Uh, but also, you know, Zeus is coming, so.
1: And Vince is just, like, doubling down on hair puns it's really, it really weird to watch it's to watch <laughs> vince have such a sense of humor about something
0: yep so we get our little opening theme song package we see coco beware deliver like a vicious brain buster in there which was actually fun and yeah some of those are vince saying things like uh flip your wig and he has a sincerely hilarious like self-satisfied self-satisfied smile when he's doing some of these hair puns for sure
1: we got Jake Roberts in another promo with Mean Gene, this time not in a, in the shower. Yep. Um, he has the courtesy to meet Mean Gene in the hall. Um, and this is something you would never see today, um, the way that this interview is conducted. If you watch any backstage interview with, say, uh, Char- Charles Caruso or uh, any of the other women who I can't name because they're all clones of Renee or Charles... Um, <laughs> Gene is holding the microphone He's terrified of Damien And the microphone is shaking in his hand You know <laughs> You would never see that today The The interviewers are all Very robotic
0: Yeah, generally uh,
1: which, gets, which prompts Ventura After the promo is done um, In a line of Actually more memorable than any part of the promo I don't
2: know if Oakland was holding a microphone or a vibrator
0: all right, all right, now let's take
1: you back to me and Gene Okerlund. To comment that he doesn't know if Okerlund was holding a microphone or a vibrator.
0: That's the line of the year for 1986 right there.
1: That's the line <laughs> of the decade for the 80s.
0: Wow. Unbelievable I, I that, that got on NBC. I do not being
1: better than that.
0: Yeah, how'd that get on NBC in
1: 1986? But well, did. and Vince, obviously, the look on Vince's face when he says it, too, is just... Vince is like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah.
0: But hey, it uh, made it past sensors. It made it into the final cut and everything like that. So <laughs> I guess it's OK. We do also get to see like Vince and Jesse's tiny little eight inch monitor that they're watching this on. Like it's just a small little crappy screen that they have to follow along the action with. Uh, you know, when they're not actually looking at the ring to see the details and that sort of thing.
1: Also, we also get uh, in the uh, Macho Liz bit uh, OgreLand asking them if they fear snakes, and Macho Man says, No, he plans to make Jake skin boots.
0: Yep, gonna make Jake skin boots. He says he's gonna make a belt out of that creature, and then clarifies Jake skin belt also. Uh, so maybe Dean Ambrose can have one of these belts, because he seems to never have enough belts uh, lately. Mm hmm. So our first match is. The Intercontinental title, Macho Man, Randy Savage versus Jake the Snake Robert. So Jake apparently has turned face uh, and the DDT chants are already starting, which I think this is our first finisher chant that we've heard.
1: Yeah, this is uh, and this is the thing that ultimately uh, Roberts credits with uh, derailing his uh, push and preventing him from wrestling Hogan for the title, because Vince, uh, according to Jake, did. Vince thought that Jake would be more over than Hogan, and he didn't want someone being cheered more than Hogan against Hogan.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, Jake is kind of just too charismatic, and he's got, you know, a fucking reptile, and his move is yeah. awesome, and he just, he's yeah, just he can't cool. help but be over. Yep. He really I mean, is.
1: That's, that's what helps you become a very over babyface is if you're just effortlessly cool.
0: Yep. And also, I just can't get over how charismatic all three, Macho, Liz, and Jake, they all are in this match. Like, this is just fantastic in terms of personalities. Uh, So in the actual match itself, as they get going, both men pull each other's hair out of a headlock, and uh, Jake tries for a really early DDT, and Macho just splits. So Macho goes out of the ring. He grabs Damien and tosses Damien under the ring which Jake then has to go retrieve him, leading to our first commercial break. When we come back, Macho's using Liz as a human shield, but that also gives the opportunity to appreciate Elizabeth's rainbow gown and its full splendor, because it is a, a sight to behold. So.
1: She always Liz, had great gowns.
0: Absolutely. Liz is by far it's the best dressed of the 1980s in, in professional wrestling. There's, I think, poss- no question. Poss-
1: 80s Liz is possibly the best-dressed person in wrestling history.
0: It's 100% possible. I mean, Um, she just... I mean, she... It's her or Sherry. Yeah, she's constantly changing outfits throughout the night. Her her clothes typically, usually... I mean, almost always really match Macho Man's also. Uh, She's just absolutely gorgeous to begin with. So, yeah, it's just her aesthetic all around is wholly unique to 80s wrestling. And I mean, she, nobody can really pull it off the way that she does. Mm -hmm. So soon enough, Macho Man really tosses Dave Hebner aside. And then so does Jake. And he tosses him onto like the scorer's table. And we end up with a double DQ here. So in the post-match chaos, Damien is brought out, but just a double DQ as we often get with title matches, happening on free tv in the 1980s (laughs) but uh what do you think about this one overall spencer
1: um it's a good match um it's it's a weird match because i'm it's hard to tell i don't quite know if jake is necessarily fully a face yet or if he's just too cool
0: yeah does at one point say that both men are hated so I don't think that Jake. It doesn't
1: sound like they're hated.
0: No, but that also means that this is essentially a heel versus heel match. Yeah. But, I mean, they also probably understood who yeah. the crowd would get behind, even if yeah. it wasn't the narrative, per se. And which yet makes-
1: there are some ways in which it's also kind of like Macho Man's maybe at points playing subtly the face. Yeah. It, it's it's a very strange little match. Um It's it is. probably... Um, the best Saturday night's main event match we've seen yet.
0: I can see how you'd say that. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's,
1: it's it's, a really solid match.
0: Yeah. There's plenty of in-ring action. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of the high points are the stuff happening either outside the ring or like the character stuff going on. Like it's really, it almost plays more like a fight scene on a TV show than a wrestling match in certain points of this thing, just because of the way that, you know, they're, running around often with disregard to the rules and that sort of thing. It happens to the DQ finish, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it does a good job telling its story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So that leads to our next match. It is a world title defense. Hulk Hogan versus Hercules Hernandez. Before this match, we see Bobby Heenan buying the rights to Hercules' contract in a bank with just a huge stack of cash that he is giving to the Reverend Slick. That's,
1: that's not how banks work. (laughs) I, I know how this
0: is. Yeah. (laughs) So also we get a promo. Hercules basically just saying like, I am the champion over and over again. That's like the promo pretty much.
1: It's a good mantra to live by. It's not one to live by when Hulk Hogan's the champ.
0: (laughs) Right. And we do get a Hulk Hogan promo next.
3: With me at this time, the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan, readying for a title defense tonight against Hercules. And of course, Hulk, it happens on your own home turf here in Southern California. And thank God, Mean
2: Jean, I've got my pump back, man. You know, the pythons are ready, the largest arms in the world. And I'm glad they are because I checked this dude, Hercules, out, man. He's got the body of a god. He even looks like the real Hercules. And he's definitely stronger, man. But I checked the dude out even farther. He could have been a Greek god. He could have been an immortal. And you know something, mean Gene? Since he's guided by Bobby the Weasel Heenan, I've trained for the dude like he was an immoral brother. I've been hanging out in the Garden of Eden with my main squeeze Eve. I dove 20,000 leagues under the sea, 40 nights and 40 days. I hung and bung on the Titanic and Hercules this is where the power
3: lies just the point that i wanted to make hulk hogan yes there will be diverted attentions tonight with the presence of hercules new
2: manager bobby heenan well you know it's the same old story with this weasel man he keeps throwing them at me and i keep knocking him down but you know hercules you're just like everybody else, man. Top-shelves you are, because you're guided by Bobby the Weasel Heenan. But you're in my way, man. You're on my hit list, and you shall feel the pythons, brother. And when I'm done with you, hopefully I'll get that little weasel in this 24-inch python and squeeze his head. But I'm going to the top of the family, Mean Gene. Hercules, you shall feel the wrath of the pythons. You shall feel the wrath of Hulkamania. This is where the power lies.
3: All right, get
0: ready. Hulk Hogan, a Todd, of the fence. Vince McMahon, let's go back to you. So he really, like, he goes in on this weird metaphor about history and the immortals and he, how he was training in the Garden of Eden with his main squeeze, Eve, and then he also brings up the Titanic. I don't know. The uh, and stuff.
1: there's a, it's, the whole promo is almost a close-up of Hogan's nipples. <laughs>
0: Oh, boy. (laughs) So into the match, it starts off, fittingly enough, when it's Hulk Hogan versus the mighty Hercules, starts off with the test of strength, and Hogan's the one who goes down to the knee. Uh, Eventually, you know, Hercules kind of gains control through the test of strength, but then Hogan dominates the match for a while. Hogan goes to chase after Bobby Heenan. Heenan ends up running through the ring. Hogan gets caught by Hercules, but then Heenan, like flips over the top rope and lands on his damn feet on the outside. I was, like, shocked by this move of of athleticism by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Unbelievable. So, around this point also, Jesse Ventura notes that Dave Hebner, who got bumped big in the last match, is out here now to referee a title match. And it does kind of have me thinking, how, like what order did the show happen in? Cause I think that it's probably recut to fit into the TV segments best, but you know, like I wonder, you know, if, if this, you know, if this is not the order of the matches where it actually happened in LA. So we get back to the action here. Hercules does the torture rack. Jesse claims that he hears Hogan saying that he quits. Uh, Vince blames that on the toupee covering his ears. And then the Hulk up is on shortly thereafter. Big boot, leg drop, three count. Hogan's still champion. Hercules gets up and leaves without incident. The end. Uh, nice, clean title defense. Kind of a one-off thing for Hulk Hogan. What'd you think about this match with Hercules Hernandez?
1: Um... My full notes for this match all about strength comparisons, early, most bog standard Hogan formula,
0: yeah, this is about the most standard Hogan formula match that we have seen so far. Uh, I thought it was okay as that goes. I thought they did enough to kind of put Hercules over as a as a heel against people that aren't hogan, possibly but but not too much to write home about not not anything that anyone should go seeking out or anything like that, certainly. <laughs> So, now we have another grudge match here. Roddy Piper, the newly faced Roddy Piper, against Bob Orton with both Don Morocco and Jimmy Hart in his corner. We start off before this match with Jesse just sitting at a restaurant with Jimmy Hart and Bob Orton where Orton kind of just says, yeah, Roddy Piper used to hide behind me. They're, you know, We were never really friends, blah, blah, blah. And then, we get a touching video of Bob Orton and Roddy Piper being bros and doing despicable things complete with a heart wipe to end the video. Like this is, this is a spot the influence right here. This video is taking itself so not seriously and is played so much for comedy. It really reminds me of the Rusev summer video. That aired on Raw when when uh, Lana was with Dolph for a while, and they made that incredibly cheesy video where like Rusev throws the fish into the onto the aisle and all that sort of thing. Oh god. Oh man, it was uh, it was the same sort of thing, but I I laughed at this at the way that they were portraying this because like it's alternating them like hugging and then them like cutting off Haiti Kid's hair against his will, like just doing terrible things together, but all set to this almost romantic music. <laughs> so uh, so we, we, get a, we get a Piper promo also, and he just turns, like, beat red during it because he says, because he's mad that Orton said that there was no friendship, so. We also learn one other thing before the action starts. Adrian Adonis has returned. He was out for a while. Earlier that day, I believe Vince says, on Piper's Pit, must be one of the, you know, the syndicated Saturday morning wrestling shows that was going on. Uh, but Adonis had returned to Piper's pit and put Piper to sleep.
1: Mm-hmm. And Piper's promo, um, interestingly, if you uh, notice Piper's promo, he mentions uh, a bottle of Thunderbird. Yes. And that is, that is something that actually comes up several years down the line in Steve Austin's famous King of the Ring promo. Oh, wow. He tells Jake Roberts, why don't you go get yourself... A cheap bottle of Thunderbird.
0: Huh. Man, yeah. was that like the boys' drink a choice back?
1: <laughs> well, so here's the thing about Thunderbird. The guys on the Attitude Era, uh, not the Attitude Era podcast, but the uh, uh, um, Bottom Line cast, uh, they're doing a recap of uh, Steve Austin's uh, career, all his uh, WWF pay per view matches. Right. And uh, they they got to that promo and they talked about it. They were like, "I don't know what Thunderbird is. <laughs> what is Thunderbird? Is is that is that like a real thing? What is it? What? It's some kind of alcohol. Is it beer?" Well, I looked it up. Thunderbird is a very cheap wine. Yeah, it's all it's bum wine. Is
0: yep. so I can, like, I can tell you from experience. Uh... Working in a CVS for five years, uh, Thunderbird and Midnight Train, absolutely. Like we had quite a number of homeless people who would come in, and those were one hundred percent the their you know the the things that they would buy, the things that they would purchase as their drinks would be Thunderbird yeah. or so, or Midnight Train.
1: So when Steve Austin tells Jake Roberts to go get himself a bottle of Thunderbird. Drown his, you know, sorrows because he couldn't hack it and beat Steve Austin to become the king of the ring, or Piper, you know, referencing it here in his promo to on Orton, you know, he's he's there's there's a class implication there, you know, it's it's more than just oh drink your tears away, drink you know drink and forget. There's a drink. The shittiest, cheapest thing Because you're nothing more than a bum
0: Right So So in As this match begins also Don Morocco's Choice of attire So he's wearing a kilt to like mock Piper or whatever But he's also wearing like a No smoking t-shirt? I don't Even know he, well, That's <laughs> how you know he's a heel Yeah I guess <laughs>
1: everyone he, uh, was cool with smoking in the 80s.
0: That's that's basically true, yeah. So he also keeps getting he keeps jumping up onto the apron like before this match even takes off. So who else but Dave Hebner once again, who's been the referee for every, every match, kicks Morocco out from ringside before the action even really gets going. Uh, when it does, it's just a flurry of fists by Piper and then this big, huge bulldog that leads to some very floppy selling from the Ace Cowboy.
1: I actually really enjoy Orton selling in this match. Like, yeah. it's, it's super excellent. Like, yeah. it's floppy, but the dude is making everything look impactful. It's every—like, this is—I'm seeing a bit why Bob Orton— is so well regarded as a wrestler. Uh, And I think this match is doing more for that than any of the matches we've seen him in so far.
0: I think that's true. I actually think that he's been kind of a breath of fresh air all the time besides like the boxing match. Oh, definitely. uh, But that first
1: Yeah, This match in particular, I think, is just, there's something about it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I can certainly see that. But yeah, I've been very pleased. I was pleased with his match with Hogan, even though it had you know a, a crappy finish. But I thought that was surprisingly better than I imagined. And his uh, his tag match with with Dick Slater, who we'll see later at the first Starcade. Also, I was like, man, Orton and Slater are like good and like yeah. way more athletic than I remembered. And yeah, mm-hmm. so the rest of this one. After that, uh, some of that floppy selling, Orton does another big sell where he gets – he does like the flipping into the turnbuckle thing, but he lands on his head back into the ring, and this uh-huh. is like fast action, like high work yeah. rate. Piper eventually gives a double axe handle to Orton, which knocks him into Jimmy Hart, who was not kicked out of ringside because you know, in 80s fashion, he has his manager's license. So that uh, <laughs> that knocks Morocco back into Piper, who rolls him up and gets the three count. Back from the break, uh, Piper also sounds like he's got a case of the Mondays on Saturday night's main event.
3: Another tremendous chapter in the book of Rowdy Roddy Piper tonight, and that big match against ace cowboy Bob Orton. You've got to be very pleased with your performance this
2: evening. Uh, please. <laughs> please, I got a pink cowboy hat off him, I guess. Not real pleased. Adrian Adonis is still hitting me in the head. Fat Albert out there, I'm dumb rocking, still waiting well, away. You see, the work's just begun. <laughs> uh, it, small you, victory like that don't worry.
3: You know, Roddy, all of a sudden you have become a tremendous crowd favorite. I don't think you ever had any intentions of winning a popularity contest in professional wrestling, but apparently you have.
2: When I was in when I was in high school, I was the man most likely to marry the cheerleading squad. I don't wow. know about that. I kind of mean I kind of cute in my own way. I ain't running for president. I don't really. I don't really care. I fight. I fight to feed people. If if Adonis, at least I got Adonis back in the pants. At least you can say that much. At least I got a pink cowboy hat off of off off a Bobby Orton tonight. Poor old AC baby. Did you lose? Ah, oh, I'm sorry. It okay. was my fault. What about the kilts with Orton and Morocco? Does that no no? A- those are dresses. Oh, their I wear a kilt, you see, when it comes right down to it, when I'm good, I'm good, but when I'm bad, I'm
0: much better.
3: He is one of a kind, he is Rowdy, Rowdy Piper, I thank you.
0: This promo is like, so like, not really under his breath, but just kind of like mumbly and just so not Piper that I thought it was hilarious. He's He's happy to have a pink cowboy hat and he was voted most likely to marry the cheerleading squad apparently the whole thing. Yeah. So, so uh
1: Roddy Piper, Polly Hero.
0: Yeah. Uh so I mean I guess you kind of uh, alluded to how much you liked uh, Orton's work in this match but uh what do you think about the match overall?
1: I I thought it was a pretty good match. Um I I think uh I and to Piper's promo, I, I think also just a good line there in it. You know, when I'm good, I'm good. When I'm bad, I'm better.
0: Yeah, that became pretty much a catchphrase for him also. Yeah.
1: It's, yeah. it's such a perfect line. Like, a lot of, uh, like, we haven't even really started hitting some of Piper's more uh, iconic promos in a lot of ways. Right. Um, but this is, this is probably the best line of any of the promos we've seen of him in the timeline so far.
0: I think you're probably right. I, I, I also, I might, I might argue for, uh, when he's talking about fighting Mr. T and he's saying, I'll quit, I'll quit playing tiddlywinks. I'll quit dating girls. But then he turns to Orton speaking of that friendship and say, but not you. Implying that he'll keep dating Orton. Yeah. I mean that that yeah. uh, that part I also that's, like just as much. But yeah.
1: <laughs> that's good. This has a, much a catchphrase to this, it as well.
0: Yeah.
1: The the pithiness of this works so well though.
0: Absolutely. So our next match, I'm almost certain was announced as a tag team elimination match, but uh, spoiler alert, it doesn't turn out that way. It is the Killer Bees, B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, against the Heart Foundation. Bret Hart and Jimmy Abel Neidhart against Jimmy Hart. Or, actually, with, with Jimmy Hart. I believe this is the first non-Battle Royal that we've seen any of these four in, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: we got this Hart Foundation locker room promo before the match. Weird, weird to think that Jim is the charisma between him and Bret at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think he always was.
1: I, I think... I think in a lot of ways, uh, my picture of Brett is very much formed, is very much uh, colored by 1997 Brett. Okay. Like, 1997 Brett is a whole level of charisma more than any other period of Brett. Oh, absolutely. And and any period of Jim. Yeah, yeah. So in a lot of ways, when I think Brett, I think 1997 Brett. But then I'm looking at this and I'm like, Jim is really charismatic here.
0: Oh, yeah. Brett, I mean, I, I'm looking for Brett has to, basically uh, nothing. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> forward so to some weird. Jim Anvil stuff on the mic. And it's just future, so too.
1: weird to me uh, to see Brett basically have nothing to offer charisma wise right now. He sucks so hard at being a heel, like in terms of projecting heel charisma right now. Yeah.
0: Although we do, uh, we notice for the first time in our timeline, and it must be new because they also bring it up, the hearts are wearing pink. the, yeah. the What would become iconic pink and black attack. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we've, I think we've seen them in blue, blue. before this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: Uh, As the match begins, we get this picture-in-picture interview with the killer bees.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And it's not even... Like okay, so a picture in picture. We we get picture in picture interviews in matches at various points throughout history, even today, and they're not ideal, but they're fine. Yeah. This one takes it a step further, though, as the promo, the little window with the promo, bounces around the screen so it does not cover up the action in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I, it's also a strange promo in and of itself.
1: It's so fucking weird. All aspects of this.
0: The the promo essentially is Okerlund is interviewing them. It's not just them in a room, you know, with a with a camera like a lot of these are. It's Okerlund there, and they're wearing the masks that they wear to the ring, so they don't wrestle in these. This is like an Andrade thing right now, where he sometimes wears a mask out for the entrance, removes it, and then doesn't wrestle in it. So they're in their masks, and it's not that. It's not just that gene is getting them mixed up they both claim to be be brian blair like they don't know who they are they both think that they're brian so of course it confuses gene but like don't worry this is foreshadowing it's not pointless it, it is
1: um <laughs> uh, well i mean it is pointless in that it's a killer bees match
0: well yeah i honestly and... have it never not even as a kid when they were you know face tag team with a with a you know, Identifiable Gimmick never gave two shits about the Killer Bees, to be frank.
1: You, you want to know a fun thing? What's so that? in the 80s, Dave Meltzer would often uh, give uh, nicknames to uh, wrestlers or tag teams, um, often mocking them. Um, and he would only refer to them by these nicknames half the time. Like the Glamour Girls became the Glamour Ghouls. Mm, boy. The Fabulous Moolah became the Flabulous Moolah the killer bees became the killer Z's.
0: Oh, okay <laughs>
1: um it, it it actually sparked some uh, controversy some of his uh, the some of the nicknames um were seen by some of the readers as too harsh yeah and also just not like you know you you want us to take your publication seriously but you're also doing this right. and like he, he wound this... up he wound up putting it up to a vote of the readership and they voted to, to keep the nicknames and they persisted for a few more years. And I, I don't know why he, or when he stopped using them exactly, but.
0: Yeah. I'm not typically a fan of that sort of thing. Not to go off on too much of a tangent, but like, it reminds me of like certain radio personalities, like, especially like conservative radio hosts who like, will only ever say, like, Barry when they talk about Barack Obama or Killery. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. uh, or like, uh, Jim Rome, if you know who Jim Rome is. He's a uh, sports broadcaster, but he also does certain other TV and that sort of thing. Like, he has people that he just calls certain names and, like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, you know, just these people who have, like, these, like, very cult followings, like, very, very devoted followings and that sort of thing. I think that's where a lot of this stuff can pick up steam and certainly wrestling in the 80s you could describe the following as a bit of a cult following even if it was becoming internationally huge yeah
1: you oh oh yeah speaking of sting because sting's original tag team partner when he broke into the business was uh ultimate warrior right guess what uh he called the ultimate warrior
0: oh boy i don't even know
1: the anabolic warrior
0: okay yeah you know i i get that (laughs) <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that one that one does make sense. I yep. certainly get it.
1: It was not
0: inaccurate. No. Definitely not. So so back here with those killer bees, once again there is a Bret Hart pin attempt, but the referee is out of position, so does not make the count. And it's Hebner again. Four for four, Earl Hebner has refere— or Dave Hebner, excuse me, has refereed these matches, so I've got to assume these were not shot in order. This can't be a Nick Patrick sold-out scenario. Uh, But the hearts do eventually isolate Jim Brunzel.
1: There's a really good um, kick-out by Brett after a commercial break um, where he uses his legs to box um, one of the bee's ears. I don't remember who. I can't tell them apart. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Um, But he... He uses his legs um, in this uh, pin attempt to box his ears and escape the pin. And that is just really cool, good, like, thinking. This is a flash of why Bret Hart really does have such a good claim to being, you know, the best or in that. Very small club of guys, you can say these are the best technical wrestlers of all time.
0: No doubt. Uh, actually, speaking of, you uh, mistakenly mentioned them earlier, but the Attitude Era podcast just started their newest season where they are going, they're doing WrestleMania 13 through up until 14, which is where they started their very first season. And I think it's Kevin Madden mentions that Bret Hart is just so crisp and you, you talk about guys who are, like, steady hands, safe workers, like, the most dependable guys. You think of somebody like Jericho who's, like, never hurt, but you can think of some times when, like, there's a botch in a Jericho match. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm on the same page with all the wrestling that I've watched. I can't think of a spot that Brett botched. Like, if, if ever there was something that went wrong— it, it's like if there is Goldberg one, Goldberg accidentally doing, you know, yeah, in the head, you know what I mean? So
1: yeah, if there is one, we'll undoubtedly see it.
0: But we will. We will. I'm
1: not sure there will be one,
0: but I'm definitely interested to keep my eye out because we'll see it all the time. Like we're, we're going to see plenty of botches, especially as we see more shows live and as we see more shows per year, we're going to see plenty of botches by some of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. You know, indisputably, but I'm very interested to see, like, just. I I think of I think of like a baseball player, right? Like, so in in baseball, your your fielding percentage, like the number of ground balls that you convert into outs, the number of pop flies that you catch for the out, whatever, it's usually very, very, very high. Like errors are uncommon; they happen once or twice a game. So a lot of people's fielding percentage is you know, up well into the you know, high ninety percentiles and. The best, of the best, and the worst are, you know, not separated by much. But I got a mm-hmm. feeling that like, and that's mostly true for wrestlers. Like most moves are not botched, <laughs> but some, but some are. Yeah, I got a feeling and sometimes like Hart they Hartson, just. One of those guys whose fielding percentage is like nine ninety eight, like just almost literally never a single error. Like we might find a slip up here or there, but he is like a fucking gold glover. Like he is just so steady.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, because I can think of several, like, noticeable botches uh, in the last year alone uh, in, you know, 2018 wrestling.
0: Yeah. I mean, and like, sometimes, you know, they're not even, like, big accidents, per se, or anything like that. But, like, you think of, you know, well, I mean, like, you think of Owen Hart, who, again, mm-hmm. like, you can make a case that Owen was a better wrestler than Brett but there's Mm -hmm. also the Austin injury. You think, I mean, something that just happened this week in WWE, Xavier Woods, who I think is a very, very good wrestler. I'm not saying he's the best or anything like that, but a very, very good wrestler. But it's so easy. He made a, I think it was a dive over the top rope. This either happened on Fast Lane. I think it happened on Fast Lane. uh, But he, his uh, pointy boots, his Iron chic boots, got like caught on the top rope and he like kind of, like the, he sort of botches the move, wasn't yeah. a big deal. Nobody got hurt. But yeah. like those sorts of little mistakes, they just don't happen with Bret Hart. For some, you know, he's just that good. But yeah. we'll we'll uh, we'll see if our if our uh, rhapsodizing about Bret's excellence of execution turns out to <laughs> really live up to it.
1: I, I got to give that my Jim Neidhart laugh right there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, my my, without uh, without going on another tangent, my second favorite wrestling laugh. My favorite's the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase.
1: So I th- I think uh, close to uh, maybe near my top five. It's not top five necessarily. Uh, I don't exactly have like a formalized top five. But heel Seth Rollins's cackle oh, I is love pretty that. good.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. That's
1: a that's a good one. It's not. It's not the top tier, but it's no, close.
0: But yeah, it's close. It could it could maybe make it another list. So back in this one here, again, the hearts isolate Brunzel. The ref misses a tag by the face killer bees. So the bees both go out of the ring and they grab their masks, which were under the ring. And they start using twin magic by two guys who only look yeah. sort of alike, but... You know, now they're in masks, so Dave Hebner doesn't fucking know. But,
1: yeah, and here, and again, though, no one cares enough about them to know the difference, to be able to tell the difference. So, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, it works.
0: Unfortunately, I do know which one is Jim Brunzel and which one is Brian Blair when they are next to each other in yellow and black. If I saw them on the street, I probably would not know, hey, that's B. Brian Blair. But <laughs> but when uh, – in, in this scenario, in this setting, I can tell. But once they put on those masks, no, I literally can't anymore – I only know who is who because of which one is supposed to be beaten up and which one is supposed to be the legal man and who isn't. So, who I believe to be Jim Brunzel comes in at one point and ends up rolling up Brett Hitman Hart to get the win. So the Killer Bees win this match and
1: the yeah, Twin Bret Magic Hart gets pinned. uh your inspiration for the Bella Twins right here. Yeah, there you go. The so Bella Twins.
0: The Bella Twins. Yeah. <laughs> So our our next...
1: The killer Bela twins. There you go.
0: That's the one. <laughs> our next matchup has, I believe, our only in-ring debut of the night, Coco Beware, uh, who, one of the first guys that I remember ever seeing on my TV. Uh, it, you know, it probably was right around this time, one of the first wrestlers I remember seeing. But Coco Beware versus Nikolai Volkov. First of all, Coco's with Gene, and he's talking about Frankie, his bird taking a trip to Russia. Don't really know what the point of that is, but, uh, we also, because birds that... can fly, man. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that reminds That's... me of a, uh, a really great part in, uh, an episode of parks and rec when a guy, Andy has to watch the front desk and this guy comes in and he's like, I can't find my bird. And he's like, okay, we'll get somebody to, uh, and he's like, there's no time he can fly. <laughs> Which is my all time favorite line from Parks and Rec of all the great lines. It's just this one cutaway. But, uh, nevertheless,
1: we all Favorite like lines of to... Parks and Rec? I, I gotta go with, uh, April, um, talking, oh, God, I gotta remember what it is. It's about oh, being Puerto Rican. <laughs> mm. And, oh, how's it go?
0: Something about, that's why I'm so fiery it's
1: that's why I'm so bright and cheery. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> something like that. Like, my mom's Puerto Rican. That's why I'm so bright and cheery.
0: Right.
1: I was like, <laughs> yes, that is that is correct. That is our people right there.
0: <laughs> so we find out that Freddie Blassie, no longer Nikolai Volkov's manager, Slick is now here. And we also learn that Slick... Uh, cannot tell cocoa from a coconut once again slick i like your style nikolai has never
2: looked better well you know jesse i'm sure brother that you can understand that to wrestle good you got to feel good and to feel good you got to look good You understand? And to look good, brother, it takes money. And to get money, you got to have the guiding hand of the Slickster over your career. You know what I mean, brother? Well, it makes a lot of sense to me. But Slick, what about this Coco character? You know what, Jesse? I don't know Coco from a coconut. But one thing I do know, he's the one that butter beware. Because the only way the
0: Slickster likes his birds
1: is
0: deep fry. So we get like a little pro here.
1: Things with similar names are impossible to tell. Part. I mean, that's <laughs> just how names. That's how names work.
0: Also, Coco Beware gets a full entrance to the song "Pile Driver" that he sings.
1: I, th- there's a reason why I can't tell the difference between the Chrises, and, who are the leads of the Marvel movies. Yeah, They're all named I... Chris. <laughs> I can't tell them apart from you either.
0: I wouldn't think so, no. I know, I get mistaken for Chris Evans a lot. <laughs> I'm getting that constantly. So this is a match between two Hall of Famers, let's make a quick note. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting yeah. in a way.
1: That's us uh,
0: throw away late card Saturday Night's Day event match between two Hall of Famers.
1: I mean, that's not uh, unusual at this uh, point uh, where most of the 80s are starting to be covered by the Hall of Fame.
0: It's getting there, yeah. Definitely getting there. So, uh, this match starts off with Volkov attacking and dominating with power, but then Coco's Speed takes control, and holy shit, this move that he does. So, it's like a
1: reverse Frankensteiner, almost? Yeah!
0: He's facing Volkov. I'm going to try and explain this and, you know, try and picture this, but it's hard to do. You you really should just go look up Saturday Night's Main Event from November of '86 and see this move if this is the only thing that you see coco's facing volkov he jumps up onto his shoulders so like he is now facing the opposite direction that volkov is facing but sitting on his shoulders he then leans backwards like toward volkov's face and like ends up now like leaning backwards so far that he gets you know, in, with with momentum, gets his back down to the mat, and then kind of uses his legs to, like, spring Volkov forward. I know that that sounds like nonsense, but he really does this in this match.
1: It's uh, insane. Yeah. That then, alone is worthy of giving him the Hall of Fame slot.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's awesome. He really was. A, if I mean, well, I want to say if he was around a day, he could have been Intercontinental Champion, but he'd probably just be Apollo Crews. You know. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah.
1: But hey, because, I, I still like Apollo. I mean, yeah, no, I, I like Apollo too, but, but hey, I maybe, mean, maybe it'd, Apollo it'd Crews a,
0: with a bird might be Intercontinental Champion, you know?
1: Yeah, um, no, I mean, uh, we got Lashley with a child. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, So, I mean, uh, Apollo Crews with a bird could be Intercontinental Champion. I don't see why not. I don't
0: know
1: either. Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you know, Coco, beware. He's his career is more than worthy of the Hall of Fame in all seriousness. Uh, His uh, runs in mid south and everything, exactly. Uh, Yeah, he's he's a really solid worker. Uh, His uh, team with Owen Hart, you know, more than worthy. Yeah, Um, which people people say, like, man, looking at like some some of uh, Sasha and Bailey's gear. Like, that's, uh, they're like, oh man, that's weird that they're, uh, paying homage to Bob Sparkplug Holly with their gear. It's like, no, that's fucking high energy right there.
0: Yeah, that's way more high energy than it is. They
1: they are, they are doing Sparkling Owen and Coco, plug. that's what they're doing. You you are mistaken, seriously mistaken, if yeah. you think that they're Or even the, uh, the
0: short-lived new Sir foundation with Owen and, uh, and Neidhart also, yeah. yeah but it's way more it's way more that Owen look than it is the spark plug holly look that's for sure
1: yeah so you know i'm like but yeah no i mean so coco his his career really does actually in all seriousness deserve uh, a hall of fame uh, nod that consider... that he has yeah um but if you could be inducted into a hall of fame just on the basis of one great fucking move that <laughs> is it yeah, that like, i don't does it.
0: i've never seen this move before i really don't believe that i've ever seen this before
1: it's my only note about the match is this move because it's that fucking good
0: yeah it is <laughs> so to finish off this match we do get another we'd get a top rope drop kick from coco which is something you also don't see that much during this time period but i only get to two volkov takes control he gets a press back breaker. Uh, showing off his power, but he aborts the cover, and then Volkov goes over to Slick for advice, but Coco Beware comes up from behind, rolls him up, and gets the victory. So Coco Beware with a win over Nikolai Volkov, who's a guy who we've seen have a world title shot earlier in the timeline. Yeah. So, th- I mean, you know, that was a short but fun match. I certainly enjoyed watching Coco Beware work, for sure. Mm-hmm. After this, we go to the back... Mean Gene is there with Hulk Hogan. Hulk basically uh, calls Hercules his equal, except for the Hulkamaniacs. Like, he really puts Hercules over, says that he's as good and as strong, but he doesn't have the Hulkamaniacs to make him into an immortal. So uh, I thought that was an interesting promo from Hulk to put him over that strong. Also, I want to make a quick note before we move on to our final match of the night. In my notes which are typed up in a Google Doc, I have Hogan essentially calls Hercules his equal, comma, except for the Hulkamaniacs. And I want you to know that Google Docs, at least, recognizes the word Hulkamaniacs as a word. It does not believe that it is misspelled. It believes that this is a valid word that can be used in a Google Doc. Interesting. Yep, just making that note. (laughs) So our last match is...
1: Any words a valid word you can use in a Google Doc if you uh, intend it.
0: Yeah, if you try hard and believe in yourself. <laughs> but uh, So our last match is Dick Slater and Don Morocco. Morocco, back out here again. Slater, the face, is in rebel Dick Slater form here in WWF, and he's just draped Ooh. in a rebel flag. Yikes. Even And he's still over even here in Los Angeles in 1986, so go figure. In the back, though, Morocco and Mr. Fuji are with Mean Jean and they're making fun. You know, they're despicable heels, so they're making fun of uh, Dick Slater's southern heritage. And Mr. Fuji sings, I wish I was in Dixie. And what was the second reason? The second reason
2: is because we like that Rebel Redneck song. Hit it, Mr. Fuji. I wish I were in the light of cotton. Old time, they were never forgotten. Look away, look away, look away. Yeah, let's Whoa, go. Okay.
0: It is truly so we... something strange to behold. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know exactly what See, to make yeah. of it, but...
1: See Morocco and Fuji are just automatically faces to me here.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, look, I I've, I've come to appreciate Dick Slater's in-ring work. Uh, I mean, he he recently passed away shortly after we began this project. But but I I'm gonna
1: be quite th- honest. I like I, if your gimmick is I wear the Confederate battle flag.
0: Yeah, that's strike one, two, and three. Like, that's game over for me. (laughs) I'm
1: simply not interested in cheering you. I don't care. Nope. Like, I will cheer literally the opposite of you every time.
0: Right. Unless he was, like, maybe fighting Baron Von Raschke in full Nazi mode, then I, you know, (laughs) might have to do some soul surgery at that point. (laughs) Then
1: it's a heel versus heel match to me, and I just want them both to lose.
0: Right. So, this is a very fast match, uh... Morocco controls, Slater kind of gets some hope spots. Fuji thwarts it, a cover, by putting Rock's foot on the ropes, and then he grabs Slater's foot as he comes off the ropes. That leads to a clothesline by Morocco, and then Morocco uses the ropes with his feet on the ropes to get leverage to get the pinfall. Very quick little go-home segment right before midnight in this SNL time slot to kind of uh, just finish us up. That's the end of the show. Yep. Uh, any any final words about Saturday's main event before we get into our year-end awards?
1: They tried to pack probably just way too much in here. It, oh, so much. It wasn't uh, so. The last few episodes have felt rather barren. No real through line connecting the whole episode. The first couple episodes were full, but they had a through
0: line. Yeah, they had a real theme.
1: Um, we'll never forget the amazingness that is, uh, the safari in search of George (laughs) Steele. Right. But this episode is full and meandering.
0: It is very strange and it's incredibly full and busy. Um, I, I mostly enjoyed it. It was better
1: than the last couple.
0: Oh, for sure. I I enjoyed it for the most part. I thought a lot of the in-ring stuff was fine. There wasn't too much to talk about, uh, you know, as far as, like, the theme and the promos, certainly, or yeah. the stories at all, really. But there was just so much going on and moving from, like, one thing to another so relatively quickly that I uh, I found myself pretty entertained throughout, at least, so that's something. Yeah,
1: Yeah. no, it was, it was a good Saturday Night's made event, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I
1: just... Mean, uh... Not the best, no, but a good one. No, certainly
0: not. But yeah, I agree. So, that leads us to our year-end awards.
1: 1986. 1986.
0: We have. 1986.
1: We have completed you.
0: Yeah. Flew through it, feels like.
1: Well, it, it'll take us longer each and every year, because uh, next year, uh, 1987, we will get... The Survivor Series. Uh, WWF will add a new pay per view to its uh, repertoire. Mm-hmm. And they will do it um, in the most spectacularly bastardish way possible. Pac would be just envious of this level of bastardy. <laughs> um, because, uh, and we'll, we'll cover this in more detail, but Vince McMahon basically scheduled Survivor Series 1987. For the same day and time slot as Starcade 87. Yep. And then told pay per view companies they could either carry him and get WrestleMania, or they could carry Starcade and not get WrestleMania at all. Yeah. And so a very small amount of uh, pay per view companies chose to carry Starcade. Most went with carrying Survivor Series, and Starcade got. 60,000 buys.
0: Wow. Unbelievable. Well, I'm also very not excited for some of the Starcades that we have coming up. So it's, uh, well, it's going to be Jim Crockett promotions is
1: about to start spinning out of control.
0: Yep. We're not far from these NWA JCP shows becoming WCW shows, but for 87, it will still be that. So before we spring forward into 87, <laughs> Let's nice. Look at, we just
1: had daylight savings. <laughs>
0: we did indeed. Let's look at 1986. So you already mentioned this earlier in the episode, but uh, let's just start off with female match of the year. Uh, tell yeah. Me, give tell me, me yours. That match well, I just I just picked the match that we saw. I yep. picked Velvet McIntyre versus Fabulous Love yep. because it's the only one that we saw in the timeline. So I'm just going to go ahead and give it to that.
1: Yeah. That's understandable to do. Um, we're going to reach a point where uh, we won't have that even for you to do.
0: Yeah, I don't know what I'm gonna do there. I'll figure it out, but we'll see.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I think honestly, uh, until because of uh, some of what we're uh, looking at is just gonna be so such a drought of it that I'm just going I'm going to have to continue doing this and. Um, and that is uh pick a ra- a random all japan women's match to to be uh if we're at a point where we only have one women's match in the, in all of North America in our uh t v that we were covering yeah um and it's only or and it's only a minute long right i I'm not interested in rewarding that. Yeah, we we'll uh, uh,
0: I think in both 87 game. and 88, we'll get some women's tag team matches. Yeah,
1: we will, and uh, the Jumping Bomb Angels Glamour Girls uh, match in 88 at the Royal Rumble will be, uh, even if I were to pick uh, some all-Japan women's matches from that year, it, it would still be a strong match.
0: Yeah, and I'm actually pretty excited for the uh, the Survivor Series match in 87 as well. Feature, yeah, no, that's a really
1: good match, too.
0: So what is um, this AJW match that you've picked for AJW? So yeah,
1: uh, this is a all, Jumping Bomb Angels versus Atrocious Alliance um, from, let me grab the exact date. It's uh 1986. It's a two out of three falls match from January 5th. Um, it's a fantastic little, little match. I don't really understand, like, sometimes the uh, kind of the leeway that... Uh, wrestlers in AJW are given because the Atrocious Alliance, uh, it's Condor Saito and Bull Nakano. Before Bull uh, started styling her hair up, yeah. she's got it like sh- half shaved. Nice. Uh, and she's like, they are terrorizing the Bomb Angels with nunchucks throughout this match. <laughs> And and the you, ref-
0: did, uh, you did tweet this match out, too, right? From our, yeah. from our Twitter, yep. at uh, Healtown yep. Podcast on Twitter. So, yeah, if you guys want to see this one, you can go find it. I n- have not seen it yet, so I'm going to watch this uh, it, in the couple really kind
1: of days. It's really like this If uh, I'm doing it as Female Match of the Year, it would be my overall match of the year out of every match we've seen for this year. Wow. Um, if I sit alongside it. I think it's a bit better than... Uh, my pick, even my pick for the men's match of the year.
0: What is your match of the year?
1: My men's match of the year is the Minnesota Wrecking Crew versus the Rock and Roll Express at Starcade.
0: Okay, I mean, I can't really argue with that. that.
1: Is a uh, really, cage uh, match, really fantastic through it. Uh, like I said about the uh, Atrocious Lions Bomb Angels match, I don't understand the psychology. I know it's there. I just because I don't, I'm not privy to like the storylines or the particular particulars of uh, what's going on with uh, all Japan women's rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there are things that take me out of the match for a moment, but only because I'm like, I know this makes sense in some context. I just don't have the context.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: Um, whereas uh, this uh, Minnesota Wrecking Crew, Rock and Roll Express, NWA World Tag Titles, it's I, I get the context. I get the rules. I get uh, what they're doing, and it works really well. Um, Flair versus Koloff isn't far behind it. Um, I Probably third place would be the WWF tag title match from WrestleMania.
0: Okay, yeah. I... And then,
1: yeah, Roberts versus Savage from this main event as number wow. four.
0: Nice. I went with... The Funks versus Junkyard Dog and Tito Santana. I just really, really enjoyed that match from WrestleMania 2. Uh, so uh, I went ahead with that one. You can you can hear my reasons on our WrestleMania 2 episode for that. I won't go too into depth. But it was just so much more exciting than I ever imagined it would be and that I ever remembered. <laughs> like, I always checked out when I watched that match in the past. It wasn't until the network came along that I revisited it and, you know, paid kind of more attention to the spot that it was in and really came to enjoy it. So how about worst match of the year?
1: Uh, the worst match of the year for me, uh, where is that written down? Where did I write it? Piper versus Mr. T at WrestleMania. Yeah, I can't argue with that. That... Amazing match. It, yep. It was... It wasn't even pretending to be wrestling. Is. What made it... Uncle Elmer versus Bundy was uh, a contender. But Uncle Elmer versus Bundy at least pretends to be a wrestling match.
0: Right. I'm going with something for similar reasons. Uh, I picked the Road Warriors versus the Midnight Express in the Skywalker match. Because oh, it also okay. it's essentially not a wrestling match. It's just some guys climbing and then some guys trying not to fall, and then a couple of guys falling. I mean, it's just nothing. It's just nothingness.
1: Yeah, no, I I completely understand you there. The only, uh, I don't even know if you can really call it a saving grace of the match, is Cornette's being willing to take that bump, <laughs> yeah. but then Cornette actually taking that bump is a negative.
0: Yeah, the bump isn't pretty. It's obviously dangerous. He got terribly hurt. I'm, I'm I'm, making that as a... In my head, that's a point against the match, really, is that bump, because it's just so needless. Yeah. Uh, so...
1: For Feud of the Year. That brings us on that's...
0: to Feud of the Year. For our men's Feud of the Year, I went with Hulk Hogan versus Bobby Heenan. Okay. Uh, because I think... I mean, like, sure, there's Bundy... Sure, you know, there was, uh, you know, there's Hercules on this episode of main event, but it's really Heenan is the guy. I mean, Heenan's the one who ends up at the end of WrestleMania 2 stuck inside the cage with Hogan. Like, that is his biggest foil through this year of his title reign. Uh, And and I enjoyed Heenan's continued attempts to figure something out, some way to pry this belt off of Hulk Hogan. And, uh, yeah, I just had a lot of fun. With the uh, the, not really twists and turns, but with the various ways that that feud manifested itself in the ring.
1: I can't disagree. Actually, um, that's uh, I, I I originally had uh, just Hogan versus Bundy, but realize remembering that that's part of the larger tapestry of the Heenan Hogan feud. I, I I have to kind of uh, concede that and and give it to that.
0: Nice. Yeah, I mean I think I think uh certainly if you make you know uh, we don't need to get into who would all be on this, but if you made a Mount Rushmore of uh Hogan's biggest rivals, you know, there's you know a case it's Heenan. You, yeah, you could you could certainly Heenan's gotta be on there. You know, there's yeah. there's cases for, you know, Andre, there's cases for Savage, there's you know, cases for Flair, blah blah et cetera, et cetera. But Heenan's gotta be on that list. So, mm-hmm. how about for did you did you name a female feud of the year? Yes. Okay.
1: The fabulous Moolah versus wrestling, <laughs> which will probably be, be my female feud of the year for the next two years, probably. Fair yeah. Before she's before, uh, at least until we see her go away.
0: Yeah. I'm. I just. And I just said Moolah versus McIntyre just because it's what we saw, and I'm just choosing. To give uh, Velvet McIntyre some recognition, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah. We'll I mean, we'll probably there was there see... was some
0: hot shotting of the title back and forth there. So yeah,
1: if... yeah, we'll probably see the uh, return of Moolah versus wrestling as female feud of the year in 1999. <laughs> so... When she uh, is is it 99 or 2000 when she uh, wins the title off of Ivory? God,
0: I I don't know, but I mean you're in the right area generally, yeah. Yeah. Your how about worst, how about worst yeah. feud of the year? Uh, for me, it was Piper versus Mr. T. It was all built Same. around the Rocky movie. The one match, as you outlined, was just awful. Uh, so there was just, like, this this feud was as bad as any feud that we look at now that, like, built around WrestleMania, includes a celebrity, and is, like, you know, just empty promotion. That's that's what this was also. It also featured a terrible boxing match on main event with Bob Orton as part of this feud. Essentially, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, in spite of in spite of really coming around on Orton, in spite of loving Piper, this is just a shit feud. How about you?
1: Same. Uh, everything you said is exactly what I would have just said. <laughs> uh, it's there. There was nothing of value to that. Um, Mr. T has more than worn out his welcome to me in terms of being in the world of wrestling
0: yeah I mean I enjoyed him being on the first Wrestlemania I thought that his celebrity brought a lot to it it brought a ton of eyes on the product he held his own in the ring in a tag match but in this 10 or 15 fucking minute boxing match no thank you yeah Uh, so how about your event of the year
1: yeah Uh, Starcade same here Starcade was uh, just a stronger show overall than WrestleMania. Um, more good matches, more entertaining uh, matches, even uh, when they weren't quite as good. Um, just more interest, uh, more intrigue. Um, not not that uh, I particularly enjoy the ridiculous glut. Random bloody gimmick matches, but <laughs> right. they they do at times add a little something that WWF is lacking, which is some real sense of variety, I suppose, because all their matches are ultimately their their matches play to similar patterns, yeah, pretty often.
0: Yeah, you're you're not wrong.
1: Perhaps the stipulations that uh, Crockett promote puts puts forward for Starcade, even if I don't want to see them. We got a fucking you know what is this we got a stra- we got a scaffold match here, we got uh what the yeah, we got hell a is match. A street fight. Yeah, we got uh, a strap match, we got
0: the, a Louisville street fight,
1: we got Raging Bull in a Shark Cage. Uh
0: huh, yep. Hair versus hair.
1: Yeah, really? Not that that's, like I mean, that's
0: they, a, you know stipulation. The,
1: so. They all ultimately kind of force some slightly different considerations of structure on the matches. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it keeps them from getting stale.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, for my worst event of the year, so I'm holding myself to a pretty strict standard on this too. So I said WrestleMania two. I enjoyed WrestleMania two to an extent, but I'm I'm pretty much limiting this to pay per views. Um, I'm not going to include the Saturday Night's event in consideration for worst event of the year. If it's mm-hmm. somehow the best, I guess then I would give it that recognition if it transcends its handicap as a TV show. Um, same yeah. with, like, episodes of Raw going forward and that sort of thing. I'm not going to consider them for worst event of the year, I guess. Uh, so I'm limiting myself to that. Are you doing the same or did you have a different answer? Um
1: I, I considered doing the same, but then I thought about Saturday Night's Main Event 5 was really the nadir of Saturday Night's Main Event so far. Okay. Um, particularly the, f- um, the existence of that Steve Gator Wolf match, just to me. <sighs> yeah. Like, any any event where we happen to see the guy who wound up being convicted and die- and died in prison... Uh, after uh, being convicted of pedophilia and, like, you know, pedophilia-related charges. I'm going to say that if we have an event with him on it, that's automatically the worst of the year. And I don't care whether it's a pay-per-view or not. Normally, I would stick to pay-per-views.
0: Yeah, I can appreciate
1: (laughs) what you're saying, certainly. they put Steve Gatorwolf on that episode, and that is the worst thing ever.
0: (laughs) Yeah, understandable.
1: Don't care that that his crime was many years later. Doesn't matter to me.
0: So let me ask you this. Our next category then is worst wrestler of the year. Did you just give that to Steve Gatorwolf and or Fabulous Um, (laughs) Noir?
1: I actually gave it to uh, Uncle Elmer.
0: Oh, so did I. We agree here. I gave it to Uncle Elmer uh, rather
1: than than Steve Gatorwolf because we got uh, Uncle Elmer... Uh, inflicted on our TV screens for much longer.
0: Yeah, because he um, had both a match with Adonis at WrestleMania two, and he had that um, match that you mentioned earlier against Bundy. So
1: He was significantly... This is not to praise Steve Gatorwolf by any stretch of the imagination, but yeah. Uncle Elmer was far more incompetent in the ring than Steve Gatorwolf or Fabulous Moolah. Yeah. And, and so I... I couldn't really do anything else other than say it's, it's yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, female wrestler of the year. I just said velvet McIntyre, uh, not that she really shows anything here, but I certainly wasn't going to give it to Moolah since she is the reason why we didn't see much more wrestling or a big part of the reason why we didn't see more women's wrestling. Um, and you know, McIntyre, she did. Although we didn't have the video for it, she did win the women's title uh, during this year, if I'm not mistaken. She yes. did. Uh, you know, she Australia. Did get a, she did get a WrestleMania match, uh, and you know she did what she could when she gets fucking stuck up against Mula. So, yeah. So you know I'll take I'll take the opportunity our little platform here to give her some recognition.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, I'm uh, giving it to the All Japan Women's roster. Okay. Um, for keeping the light of women's wrestling alive when it's already dead in America. Yeah.
0: Fair enough.
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, we we could be watching the oca- maybe the occasional women's battle royal in AWA.
0: Ah, yeah. Right now.
1: Um, but those aren't even necessarily that great. Um, Sherry Martel's doing some good work, but again, her uh, her opponents aren't that great either. Uh, it's, it's the unfortunate thing is that Sherry Martel was far better, um, and we will see this uh, in the coming year because she is going to win the title, and we'll uh, we'll actually have some video of that, so we'll be able to kind of see uh some more of sherry than we've seen of other uh women in the the last year yeah uh, but she is she's far better than what the limitations of what wwe wwf will do in terms of hiring on women right will allow her to do
0: yeah so how about your male wrestler of the year it's rick flair same here. It's
1: it's Ric Flair. He's uh just at he's at another level even from where he was in '85.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Um, his uh particularly um where he is against Cole uh against uh Koloff in the uh, world title match at Starcade, like Ric Flair is uh. He's doing some of the best selling we've seen of anyone in this year. Um, He's doing some of the best uh, work of anyone in this year. He's also very clearly, like, you can tell from the crowd reactions, the crowds are starting to really, even though he's a heel, they want him to be a face. Yeah. They want to cheer Ric Flair. They're all in for the woo. Right. Right they're all in line for space mountain.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I pretty much what you said, I just think that he had a very good match on, in the main event of the show that we both said was the event of the year. And he's the one carrying it. Uh, he oh. also, I mean, you know, he also won a world title during this year, you know, in a thing that we saw a brief clip of and all that. So, I mean, you know, he's, he's gotta be the guy here the, the WWF style, especially at this point, often doesn't it just allow isn't doing for somebody it. to be uh, – to, to carry – it certainly doesn't allow for someone to carry the show in-ring the way that Ric Flair does. It's a lot more about yeah. uh, the story and the promos, and I mean that's certainly a part of all this for me big time. But yeah. when you add all of it up, Ric Flair has got to be the guy in 1986.
1: Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's a reason the only, uh, positive award I have going to the WWF is the, uh, Male Feud of the Year. Um, I, I'm noticing this, uh, actually just now as I've, uh, been typing our, uh, answers into our spreadsheet here for us. Um, yeah, that's the only one that's a positive award I give to the WWF this year. The other... The uh yeah I give uh for the two for the positives for well I mean I I give female feud of the year to Moolah versus wrestling but that's not exactly <laughs> uh yeah, that's, that's not enough. exactly positive in that respect that's me being sarcastic at right them. um it's still a far it's a, still a very interesting feud seeing the fabulous Moolah struggle to wrestle
0: that's not wrong.
1: <laughs> it's it's hilarious if it weren't so horrible. Right. <laughs> so.
0: so So that's our look back at nineteen eighty six. Our our next show will be uh another Saturday's main event. It will be as Vince McMahon tells us when this one went off the air, it'll be the New Year's show. So it starts right up at the top of nineteen eighty seven, Saturday's main event nine. They're going to have a couple of those, including one just a couple of weeks prior to WrestleMania. But then, hey, we all know it's coming up. It's WrestleMania 3. So we've got some storytelling work to do as we get oh, to God. WrestleMania 3. So these could be some Adam. interesting Saturday Night's Main events. If for nothing else, then occasionally the uh, the recap videos fleshing out uh, the the direction of the world title. Because, I mean, look, it's...
3: Oh, definitely. It's late
0: November. We're seeing Hogan defend against Hercules. Like, you know, not to let the cat out of the bag, but we all know Andre has got to come for that title and he's not even on this show. He's not mentioned. So we've got to get to Andre the Giant and his turn and the whole nine yards in short order. So we're going to see a lot yeah. of what happens with that in these next couple shows. So that's uh, that's exciting. That's,
1: that's all very exciting. Also, uh, I mean, we we'd be remiss not to just mention um this is probably if if there's any year in the 80s here where we're likely to see the WWF uh start taking some of these positive awards this is the one with uh Savage Steamboat
0: oh yeah i mean yeah we're going to
1: i mean not not to put the not to like uh put any spoilers, because th- this isn't spoilers, this is, I, I haven't watched all the, uh, shows yet to know for sure, but my gut is already telling me it's gonna be hard to find something that beats Savage Steamboat.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it certainly is. But, uh, it, it, should be a really mean, entertaining year.
1: I mean, but on the other hand, look at some of the work, though, that we've gotten out of, uh, some of these Starcades, um, I, I would not be surprised to see some good stuff come out of uh, Crockett, and maybe surprisingly, um, wow me more than I know Savage Steamboat wows me.
0: Maybe so, and we've got we've got some more Saturday main events. We've got uh, a couple of check-ins, a couple of title changes that we actually have video for that we can document, and like you mentioned, we should get that
1: title off Moolah finally.
0: Yeah, and like you mentioned. We've got uh, the first real, the first annual non-WrestleMania pay-per-view coming from WWF. Survivor Series will also debut in 1987, and there's some uh, really good stuff there. uh, We'll be seeing the Jumping Bomb angles there, for one. We'll also be seeing some very interesting uh, men's traditional Survivor Series matches as well. So a lot of fun stuff. Uh, I guess that mostly wraps us up for for this one. Uh, do you have any yeah. any parting words on 1986 before we get out of here?
1: 1987 is going to blow 1986 out of the water in a lot of ways, and I'm just happy about that because we can leave some of this shit behind. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, there's there's good stuff here, but oh man, some of the those bads are really bad. The lows are Mariana Trench deep. <laughs>
0: yeah there is some truly bad stuff. Uh, one thing that we've been lucky with with some of those bads is that a lot of them are very short, hold for yeah. Ray Piper versus Mr. T. but a lot of them are just shit show short, like Steve Gatorwolf yeah. and like Uncle Elmer versus King Kong Bundy. so hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can uh you know, move on from some of these lows and get into, like you said, some like really high, historically good stuff, uh, you yeah. know, is, is the convention of wisdom. So, yeah, so until next time, until Saturday night's main event nine, January 3rd, 1987, you can find us on Facebook. We are Healtown. You can find us again at uh, Healtown Podcast on Twitter or Real Chris Estes and Saint Ridley are our personal handles. Spoiler alert! I'm real Chris Estes, uh, and then you can also find us on Patreon.com/HeelTown. slash uh, Feel free uh, sh- to uh, to tweet us your thoughts or disagreements with our lists, agreements, whatever you whatever you think about these year-end awards that we're giving out. Yeah, but, and uh, if
1: you are if you're uh, on board uh, with this kind of project, uh, you may also be interested in projects like. Um, the bottom line wrestling cast and Talking Taker, uh, which are doing similar to ours, except very much more focused on a single wrestler each—Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Undertaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with a and they they give the they're they're doing the uh, full uh, recaps of every week between the pay per views because they have the luxury of doing that.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll. Uh, I mean, we'll touch on that when we can, but.
1: <laughs> the the this this podcast would become unwieldy beyond what it Indeed. already is. Indeed. Um, if we attempted to cover literally every wrestling show ever.
0: Yeah right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of really great uh, content out there with uh, projects in the same vein, though. That's yeah, can't recommend enough. But until next time for us, and until 1987 for Spencer Santos, I'm Christopher Estes. Thank you for listening to Heel Town.